Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome to another GeoMob podcast. This morning, it's my pleasure to welcome Denise McKenzie and Ben Halls to talk to us about the Locust Charter. So maybe you're wondering what the Locust Charter is, and I was fortunate enough to spend an hour at the launch of the Locust Charter a couple of weeks ago. And I went along, having looked at the sort of intro chat about it, and their vision says that they are, their vision is for a world where location data is utilized for the betterment of the world and all species that live in it. Well, when you get a vision statement like that, it is real motherhood and apple pie. You know, you're not going to, Nobody's going to argue with that. So I went along a little bit cynical. And those of you who know me know that a little bit cynical is probably very, very cynical. And I have to say, I was blown away. It was fantastic. It was simple. It was crisp. And at the end of it, I was thinking, this is a light bulb moment. People need to, this will switch on. People will suddenly start to think about geoethics and particularly the, the issues around using location data. So I'm really excited that just a couple of weeks after they've launched, Denise and Ben are here to talk to us. And before we go any further, Denise, introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. And thank you, Stephen, for an invitation to come back and do a second podcast with you all at Geomob as well. So for those of you who don't know me, Denise McKenzie, I've had the privilege in the last 18 months to work with Ben Hawes as the co-director of Benchmark Initiative. Some of you will also know me as the chair for the Association for Geographic Information, as a member of the steering committee for women in geospatial, and you know, many moons ago as the head of outreach at OGC. So I'll let Ben introduce himself as well. Whoa, Ben just vanished on us. Yeah. Okay, so Ben just vanished on us. Hopefully he'll get back in a second. Denise, carry on and tell me a little bit about the Benchmark Initiative. What is the Benchmark Initiative? So I think you can't talk about the benchmark initiative at this point without also talking about ethical geo and how the two things kind of came into being. So about sort of two years ago, there were some fairly inspired people at the Amidia Network that had really started to notice some challenges around the use of location data and some of those ethical issues and responsibility issues that were in that. And they funded two pieces of work, one ethical geo in the United States, which took an approach of looking into the research, took an approach of having some fellows come in and really explore what was happening in the space, and then Benchmark Initiative. And ours was less on the research side. It was done through Geovation with the Ordnance Survey for a particular reason that we really wanted to explore what was happening in the, the commercial and the private sector space and sort of see, A, what, what the challenges were from an ethical side with the use of location data, but also from, I guess, what people were trying to do to overcome it. You know, were there tools, were there means by which people were beginning to employ better ways of using location tech? And so from that end in Benchmark, we, we did two aspects. We looked at a thought leadership program that really tried to surface discussion and provide good spaces to say, well, what is responsible use of location data? What is ethical use of location data? And also an entrepreneur program that allowed a set of four entrepreneurs to develop some open source tools. And there's now 
great two great tools that look at mobility data and how you do anonymization in that. We've got one that looks at the world of development and sanitation data and how you help decision makers assess whether location data is good for decision making or not. Um, you know, I think we've grown past a little bit the idea that any data is good data. There can be bad data too. And, you know, the other one... There can also be good data that's used in bad ways. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's a really big part of the conversation as well. And our our fourth in that was really looking, I guess, at the world of all of us walking around as human sensors with our mobile phone and trying to find a mechanism by which to educate people about exactly what location data is being picked up by your phone, how it might be being used, and create a bit of an empowerment for people to to have control over that, you know, to educatedly say, I want to opt in to share that data or I don't within that. And that was clear your tracks. So it's it's good okay. that we've got sort of four tools, but that in essence is what we did. It, it was really different thanks to a pandemic. <laughs> so I think when we started this, you know, I think it would be fair to say, Ben, that who's now back on, back with us uh, here. Uh, it was a fairly niche and fringe topic in terms of geoethics. Not a lot of people knew about it. But fast forward to now, uh, post a pandemic, everyone's seen the front pages of tracing apps on, you know, talking about the issues in relation to location tracking. Everyone's seen Black Lives Matter and how mobile data was used in terms of law enforcement. And, you know, even more home to our practitioners, the issue of Rebecca Jones uh, and trying to be a geographer that actually spoke up about the practices within her organisation and ended up being arrested for it. So I think, you know, it's it's a very different world at the other, at the other end of this 18 months. Yeah, it was it was very much a moving target anyway uh, when we started because I think that uh, you know Omidyar and an ordnance survey and uh, the American Geographical Society had all were all responding to a feeling that that this they were kind of the early warning system that this was on, on its way but you know January last year Apple and Android both started to reduce the default tracking by apps of location and those uh, the the Irish regulator announced investigation into Google's use of location so sort of within you know within the mobile phone in industry, it was starting to get flagged up. It hadn't really made it into the public sphere beyond that. And I think there's also a sort of, there's a joining up element to our work. You know, there were, there are people working in internationally in agriculture data who, who were already quite alive to the sort of data holding imbalances and the market power in that area, but they weren't connecting to any other conversation in, in in data ethics. And similarly, I think there's a, a lot of work has been done on data ethics on consumer online data. There's been a we've all been through a big learning experience, which we're, we're still we're still in on that. And that hadn't really been connected up with location. So I think as a lot of this has been pulling together conversations and explorations that, that were already going on. And another one is, is I mean, my, my background is public policy on technology. I was for a while, while worked on smart cities policy in, in the UK government. So that's kind of where, where I came to this. And that's also you know, very much about how you collect and use data about places in the public interest because the whole smart cities world is about discovering a vast 
vast new potential public value, but the difference, but you know, the distance between the potential value and realising it in practice can can be very can be very long way. And we're, you know, the whole smart cities world is still still in that. But that increasingly also has has become about ethics. You know, what are the what are public interest and individual interests and the trade offs between all of those. So, yeah, we're very much, you know, responding to the maturing of a lot of issues but i think we've been in in a fortunate situation in that as i say a lot of work has been done on data ethics in other fields and so you know uh, geospatial doesn't have to start from scratch you know you you can Good. it's possible to see from other data ethics work that if you manage the world with data there are certain categories of issues that come up between you know inaccurate data intrusions in privacy people who are underrepresented people are overrepresented in data sets and there are certain sort of generic things that can come up if you if you work with data that i think we've we've been able to learn what learn from okay so i'm going to differ from you on one point because i think you suggested that we've all become more aware of privacy issues and issues around data online and actually i i'm going to disagree and say i think that it's much more those of us who work in tech who've become aware of these things and are making a noise about these things. Because outside of that bubble that I live and work in along with you two, I find when I'm talking to my friends generally, they have no awareness at all of these things. They've got no understanding at all of how ad targeting or any of those things work or what the implications might be. But maybe we can come back to that a little bit later. Denise, just briefly give us a summary of what is the Locust Charter. Well, it started very much as me with a flippant comment. <laughs> it's that going, you know, I think we should maybe have a charter based on all of these discussions. And of course, someone said, that's a great idea. Let's <laughs> let's go forwards. Look, it's it's really I I see this as as part of trying to answer that question you just said, Stephen. Mm. This is a recognition that actually we need a better language to explain what responsible use of this data is. Because I think you're actually right. There is a very huge portion of our population that have no idea and have no idea it's even an issue that they should take notice of. And that's a, partly due to the fact that, you know, as technologists, we're great at, you know, giving very complicated explanations as to why our tech works, <laughs> that most people have no idea what means. So, in this sense, trying to distill this down to the 10, uh, you know, and it always looks quite simple when you've got 10. You go, that's great. You know, that, that must have been easy to put together. But, you know, as the whole old quote goes, if I had more time, I'd write something shorter. <laughs> so it's really the culmination of 18 months worth of workshops that I think in started really just with us trying to get a handle on the topic. But at the other end of the workshops, really discovered a need from practitioners that were working with location data for a set of guidance or principles that they could use and apply to what they were doing in work. What, what we generally found out of the workshops was that people want to do the right thing. People actually want their, their products to be great. And so the principles are meant to try and start be a really good starting point for this evolution. We also, I guess importantly with our 10, this is, they're not fixed. You know, we understand that technology evolves, people's understanding evolves. So this is for us the kind of first starting point 
to get everybody changing and to get everybody thinking about responsible first in what they're doing. And that's really the the point of them. Okay, so Ben, give me an example of one or two principles. Well, I mean, I suppose to start at the beginning, I mean, we, we start with saying we are very much supporting the positive uses of location data. You know, this is, this, is not, this is not all about saying stop doing things. It is principle one is realize the opportunities, you know, realize the opportunities responsibly. So it's very much embracing, embracing using location data to encounter the world and to, to realize, you know, the social, social poss- and economic possibilities. But the second one, I suppose, is, is understand the, the impact. And I think this is where, you know, as Denise says, you know, it's about getting people to ask the right questions. You know, actually, with all eth- ethical questions, you eventually have to make your own decisions. The gui- guidelines are to help you know what questions to ask. And, and the very sort of the very basic responsibility is to understand that using data can have repercussions. So that's the sort of basis for all of the rest of it. It is simply to approach your work responsibly, but knowing that you need to be informed. You need to inform yourself of what possible repercussions, what possible impacts can can come from your selection of data, how you use it, what you do with it, and where where you may let it go to secondary and tertiary uh, uses. So it's, uh, it's that, um, you know, making informed decisions, taking the responsibility to inform yourself. Oh, I think we've lost. just in the middle of it, Ben's internet cut out on us. Denise, That's can it. you pick that one up about Yeah, uh, look, I absolutely can. You know, I think Ben picks are really, the first two principles are really structured the way they are quite intentionally. One being, you know, positive, positive. There is so much good we can do from location data. The second one is that, you know, recognising that with the best of intentions, with what we do, sometimes there are unintended consequences that, that we haven't thought about. But also as technologists, we have to get better at sharing that knowledge. And so, you know, I've heard great examples of people suggesting that we should have an international registry of harms so that actually when we learn that there is a harm from using location data, I can share that knowledge with others so that they don't make the same mistake in that regard. Great idea, great the, idea. The, And I think going on from that, you know, down in sort of four and five, you're really getting at that point into things like vulnerability and bias. And Ben mentioned those earlier in that, you know, you can certainly have within location data people overrepresented and so far it skews your data. You can also have people underrepresented within that work as well. And sometimes that's just a fact. You know, you have that that's just one of those things that's going to be there. But we're not always good at acknowledging that and we're not always good at explaining that that bias is there or that that, you know, or recognising that there's a vulnerable population geographically that we should be better protecting. So it's really to kind of say, well, you need to look at that and you need to understand those things within and not at the end of your project when you've started seeing the harm, but actually trying to really think about that. One of the things you'll hear... Right at the beginning. Yeah. Design. Ethics by design is what you really, I think, are starting to hear, not just within our geospatial community, but also with the broader technology community. Think about the ethics of what you're doing at the very, very beginning. Because just because your ultimate goal in your head you believe to be good doesn't mean that you may not cause something that's damaging or harmful along the way that you haven't thought about yet. That's that's good. And I noticed one of these, I think it's the individual or collective location data pertaining to people, flora or fauna, shouldn't be used to discriminate, exploit or harm. And that's like, yeah, 
at one level, that's a really simple, you know, who's not going to agree with that? You know, we shouldn't be using data to do harm. But actually, I think the, what I got from that was that sometimes you can do harm without being aware of it. And um, I had a friend who was a, a very serious plant photographer. You know, he used to go on trips into the middle of nowhere to take pictures of plants. And, you know, when cameras first started having GPS in, he disabled the GPS on his camera because he didn't want inadvertently to give away the location of rare plants that he was photographing in a jungle in Borneo or in the Amazon rainforest or something. And, you know, I think there's loads of examples like this where we don't, if you don't think, you can accidentally do damage. It's a really good so, one. I, I, that's, it's close to my heart from many, many years ago working back in Australia when it came to Indigenous sites. And when you've got mm. a population where you've got tensions with different yeah. parts of that population too, sacred sites become very, very important to protect. So you have to be careful where that location information is shared. Absolutely. So is this a U UK initiative, an American initiative, or is it global? Uh, it's absolutely global. Right. It, it might have been initiated, you know, by two programs that were UK and US, but I think it would be fair to say that our two teams pretty much from the, from the inception of this idea said this can't just be ours and it can't just be sort of structured in the UK or US thinking. It has to be global in its contribution. It has to be global in its development. And for that reason, you see no legal speak in this. You know, it stayed quite away from that legal side. And depending on who you talk to, there's some controversy about this. Some people will say that ethics is a legal conversation. Others will say that it's more of a policy and a, and a guidance and a regulation type of, you know, not even regulation sometimes. I, and I think they're complementary. I think the two things are complementary. I thought when I was listening to the panel discussion at your launch that somebody made the really good point that if you tried to make this a legal definition across the globe, you would end up being bogged down for a decade or more in lawyers arguing about what things meant, whereas establishing a set of principles and encouraging all the players in geospatial data to adopt those principles, even if they interpret them slightly differently, is actually a much, much more positive way of going about this. Yeah. So I think the idea of regulation, you know, we might like the idea that you'd be breaking the law, but it will take a decade or more to get it into place. And we're better to have cooperation and people adopting the principles, much as we did with GDPR. I, when GDPR became law, for lots of companies, it was like a day's work to run a quick audit and tick box because it was actually what they were doing already. Really? You know? That's um, it. I think also to, to add to that one, Stephen, you know, if you look at some of the language we've used, you will see elements in there of things like the Declaration of Human Rights kind of underpinning. So one of the things that we did do in the creation of this was to actually look at, well, where are there successful international charters that really do have principles that are embedded that people kind of agree with? And can we learn from that or should we be linking to that? And that's where you see some of that kind of discrimination elements, those interactions with humans. But you think how long it took us as a humanity to get to a declaration of human rights. You know, it's, yeah. they're not short processes. So, but I think it's important to build off ones that we already accept as, as globally important for us all as well. So, Ben, was there any pushback 
against the principles from people who were contributing. So perhaps the most interesting has been that this isn't enough, we need regulation, yeah. you know. So I've, ha- I've had mm. that response and, and actually, you know, exactly as you say, well, great, that, that's a decade, you know. And also, you know, it, it's quite good that you can't create regulation immediately because, you know, we, we'd have a lot of a lot more terrible law <laughs> than, than we already do if any time a government wanted to create a law, it just went ahead and, and did it. And I think that, yeah, so so anyway, this is whatever your position on, on, you know, do we need stronger regulation? This is still useful in the meantime. But also you, you, you can't and shouldn't just create regulation in reaction. You know, you need to, to, you need that civic society discussion where everyone involved can, can kind of actually have something yeah. to discuss, have some basis, some terminology and a frame of reference. And I think even if you think that actually this isn't enough and we need regulation, this is still a basis for the discussion that could end up going towards regulation, and and so I think Quite. I was almost glad, to, <laughs> almost glad to have someone respond like that because I thought you know you kind of want a range of responses. You know, some people saying, "Well, are you sure we need this?" You know, won't this stifle innovation? Mm-hmm. And then and some people, if you've got people on different sides, that you know you're probably in in roughly the right space, and you're you know you're looking in several directions at once, which is is where you want to be. I think I've. Well, I- called the BBC, the BBC position. Right, yes, yes. You know, if, if everybody's criticising them, they've probably got You're it about not right. not doing too badly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's been, I've had a couple of interesting conversations about the, you know, about consent and how important it is to, to get consent and data. And I think, you know, inevitably we've said something quite broad about proportionality because I think it is very difficult to say you need the consent of anyone who's passing any sensor who, you know, is in any way recorded in any place. It, that's that's not reasonable or feasible. And it's also not reasonable or feasible to say that, that you, you know, you never need anyone's consent to use their data. So there's, there's, it's difficult to write a principle on that, you know, because you end up saying, well, you, you should behave proportionately. And I think that, that but in a way, that's, that's what, what all ethical guidelines have to do in a sense is, you know, not to lay down absolute laws so much as to say, you have to work out in an informed way, what are the different proportions that need to be measured up and judge them. And I think that Just the fact that you've got a principle of consent and that you use the word proportionality encourages people to actually think about that. We're not all going to agree on it, and there will be hardliners on both sides of the argument, but actually having the principle starts the conversation. And the other thing that just occurred to me is government has been, around the world, has been atrocious legislating around technology. I mean, they just get it wrong every single time. You know, and if we look at the sort of the arguments that are going on in the States now about the platforms and whether the platforms need to be responsible for their content and all of that stuff. When they wrote that legislation for telephone companies 100 years ago, it seemed perfectly appropriate and perfectly reasonable, you know, and technology has just opened up situations that weren't intended to be dealt with by this legislation. And the pace that it's changing now, you know, if you write legislation now, it will be it will be overtaken by events within a very short period of time, I would suggest. And in fact, technology, if you write legislation, technologists, will develop technology to circumvent the legislation. Yeah. Whereas if you set out principles, technologies have to either say, 
we're going to adhere with those to those principles, or they're going to say, actually, we don't give a shit, and we're going to ignore those principles, and we'll know who they are. So I think that's a good thing. So, Denise, who's getting involved in this? Do you know, I've actually, when, when we did that launch, I was really nervous. I thought, you know, this, this could just totally fall, fall flat and go quiet and no one will get engaged. The response has actually been overwhelming. So without kind of releasing information that we're not supposed to release yet, I can tell you that we've got a couple of big NGOs that have already signed up. In the UK, we've had an absolutely overwhelming response and we've got um, some really big organisations that have not only signed up to it, but actually already looking for mechanisms and ways to put things into practice. So, you know, with my AGI cap on, I can tell you that we're partnering with the Royal Geographical Society over the next three months. And, you know, looking now, because we've had a lot of questions from our members, you know, well, these principles are great. And exactly as you said, Stephen, at the start, who can argue with that vision? It's lovely motherhood and apple pie uh, in terms of what you want to do. But what does that mean in practice? And so the next step is everybody who's telling us now, actually, I'm taking those principles back to my organisation and I'm putting them into practice. And we're looking at what this means for us. So we've had, from that perspective, Surprising to me is the number of private sector organisations that actually have really upfront gone, this is fantastic and this is something that we've been looking for as organisations. And I've been surprised by the, the, the number of those that have been in that space. Of course. Uh, what a, sorry, go. Of course. I was going to say the elephant in the room is the big four or five. You know, Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Amazon. You know, if they come on board, you're, you're home and dry. And if they choose to ignore it, the efforts of everybody else will be pretty trivial. So my response to that is they're not ignoring it and that Good. there is conversation that is open okay. in that space. And I think that's, for me, that's a really important part of where we're at with this conversation. What I don't want is the principles to get used in such a way that it's this massive kind of name and shame type exercise with organisations because I think we're all at a very similar space in learning what this means and what it is that we need to do. So for me, what I'm really hoping happens now from the charter is that we use it as this mechanism for having really great discussion about what responsible behaviour is, what responsible and ethical use is of location data and then collectively, as a geospatial location data community globally, we, we agree on what those practices are and everybody starts to do it. And it's not a, these guys are doing it better and these guys need to be, you know, beaten up for, for their practices, but that we okay. can all start holding each other to account in, in okay. that regard. So, Ben, our audience here is a lot of small geo-innovators, small businesses, one-man bands, and even and people like that. How can they get involved or adopt the charter? What does it mean to them if you're running a small business with four or five people? Well, you know, I, I would I would at this point not worry too much about whether you're going to formally adopt it or not. I would use it. You try it out, see if it helps you to guide your practice, see if it helps you to guide your conversations with your customers, your clients. I've It's interesting that we've, we've I've, I've had some interest from people working in planning and in use of mobility data. 
both of which have a, a public-facing element. I mean, it's, it's using data of the public variously for also something with a public interest. But, you know, if you're sort of engaging the public in planning a development, that's quite a sort of sophisticated set of, of public interests that you're working out. And I think their interest, that people interest in say, well, maybe at some point, you know, I will. this will be something I use as part of my marketing is to say that I adhere to this. Now, if your business is a, a sort of less less involved with public data then it's perhaps a slightly different thing but i think you you know you may still find it useful as a way of guiding you know how how you present yourself to your to your clients and how you talk about your uh, internally about your use of data because i think you know organizations also all have their own internal rules about data and they haven't necessarily you know if you're a small company you may not have written those yet you know, you, you may you may want some help in putting that together. So I think it'd be great if, if lots of people do sign up soon. But I, I think in the medium term, I'd, I'd hope people will use it and use it in a way that, you know, not consider this as um, dictating anything, but as a tool to help them guide their own way. OK, so what does signing up mean? So there's a couple of elements where and I think it's fair to say that we're, we're, we're trying to work out all together now what the next steps need to be as far as the charter goes. So over the next 12 months, we are beginning to look at what an ongoing governance structure is like for this, hopefully nothing too heavy, but there obviously needs to be a mechanism by which you do updates and changes and what have you, and it has to be you know sensible and appropriate for the community. Some of that signing up will be organisations that have basically come to us and said, we want to put time, resources, et cetera, into the game to support this. And so we've got a couple of organisations that have already come forward saying, you know, we're happy to to take on that responsibility of working. And we're hopeful that we'll announce all of that within the next couple of weeks. What that means for the broad, but I talked about community earlier. What I would say the most important thing is if you're listening to this and you're interested, just interested even, and want to know more about it, get to the website that is on ethicalgeo.org, Locus Charter. And at the very bottom of that, there's an opportunity there to just sign up to the mailing list that's part of that. And similar to how OSGO works and OGC works and these sorts of things, once you're on that mailing list, we will engage you in dialogue. We'll send you potentially surveys. We'll give you opportunities to get involved in events. There's a newsletter that's starting to go out. I would also say if you're one of those companies that's working on this, like you've got a tool, you're already trying to overcome some of the harms that's a get in contact as well. Because one of the things we want to do with the community is knowledge share. So if you've got a tool that's going to help somebody else, we'd love to to tell people that you've got that tool. Okay. And I think that's really important. And, you know, talking about those single one-man bands, small companies, you know, I know a lot of them actually already are very keen and, and thinking about how to behave ethically and responsibly. So it would be great to hear what they're trying to do in that space. Well, I'll be signing up to that ethical geo mailing list thing immediately after this call, Denise. And what we'll do is we'll we'll put the link to that in the show notes. So everyone listening to this, if you just look at the bottom of the show notes, you'll see the link to sign up to the mailing list. I think that's a really great point to say that this is a fantastic initiative. It's just what we needed. There was a moment also in the charter when you talked about light bulb moments and Everybody had their light bulb moment about location data and ethics and privacy and all of those issues. And uh, we could go around now and we could each cite our light bulb moment. But what I think it would be great for our listeners to do 
is actually to think about when was the first time that they realised that there might be an issue with the service that they were building or the service that they were using or something that they were doing with location data. And it's a really important moment for each of us, you know, and we all came to it in different ways. But I think you've really done something important for the whole community by starting this initiative. As always, I was a skeptic. I'm now absolutely convinced. And I think the community owes you a lot of thanks. Denise and Ben, thank you very much for your time this this morning. It's been great listening to you. We've overcome a few technical challenges, which maybe the audience will notice, in which case I apologize. If you don't notice, that means that our editor has been absolutely brilliant. Thanks a lot. Great seeing you. Brilliant. Thanks, David. Thanks, Ben. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.